I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast for a very, very strange day in what's been a pretty strange, but sometimes exciting Vuelta Espana so far. This was the stage nine, the last day before the first rest day, 184.5 kilometers of mostly flat to be honest the first 50ks were flat they do a 12k 5% category one climb and then a descent rolling terrain and a false flat uphill where there was bonus seconds just before the Caravaca de la Cruz a very undulating climb the Spanish low altitude Col de la Loz as Benji called it with very steep ramps in it it's it's the biggest fake news climb I've ever seen with descents flat sections 20% pinches that belie the 6%, 5% average gradient. And unfortunately, Benji, despite being a weekend stage, it was, again, no coverage, like no full coverage, even like yesterday on Jorat de Cati. Exactly, and we missed quite a bit in the stage when it comes to the early sections of the race that were not visible on TV because echelons were happening. And it's the kind of echelons that happened straight from the start. The riders were out of the starting block and we saw basically in our little Vuelta ticker on the internet saying, Ooh, we've got a group that includes, I think, 12 riders, seven Jumbo Visma riders. That includes Vingegaard, Chisikus, and Roglic with four domestiques, basically everybody except for Gesink. Yep. Then Quickstep had Remco and Cataneo, and Bora with three riders, Buchmann, Denz, and Vlasov. And then there's also Govacar, who... Yeah. Was just there. But <laughs> anyway, there was no 12 riders there and they basically had like a group behind them 30 seconds, 45 seconds behind them. And then a group that was 54 to a minute and 10 seconds behind them on the route. And I reckon Almeida was in the second group, but for the rest, I don't really know where other riders were during that echelon section because, well, it wasn't visible. So yeah. it's hard to predict there. But this is cross tailwind. You've got cross headwind. You've got cross tailwind. And I got so many questions, so many questions during this race about whether, so Remco, for example, in that group with Cataneo, why should he be riding in an echelon where there's seven Jumbo Visma riders, six actually, because Walter had a puncture yeah. or mechanical during the start of the stage. And then on the other end, why is Roglic and Vingo riding in an echelon? But in reality, that, that has all to do with it being an echelon. In an echelon, you kind of have to ride. And I'm sorry that I'm talking so much, my friend, but I'm going to deep dive into the cross tailwind crash course. So basically, cross tailwind is supposedly is known to be better for echelons than cross headwind. So cross tailwind means that the wind is basically coming from on the right behind you or on the left behind you. And that's a combination of the drag you get from the front with the wind that comes from, in this case, from the right tail. And those two combined that start to feel as a rider like right headwind. And a good explanation is uh, there's an NOS video on YouTube somewhere by Tom Dumoulin who explains this phenomenon very, very in-depthly. And because it feels like right headwind, 
you see that they ride perpendicular. I learned that word today compared to the, the wind direction, which is on your right behind. And that's why you see that, that, that diagonal formation on the road, riders in an echelon from the right top to the left bottom, basically. But only X amount of riders fit on the road. Like the road is not 100 people wide, yeah. usually. Sometimes in the UAE, you can see very wide roads. But in this case, it's like eight, nine, 10 riders maximum, I'd say. And because they don't fit next to each other, if you can't fit in the echelon anymore, if, for example, the, the road is full diagonally, combined with the higher speed due to the tailwind, it makes it really hard to stay in the group because you're kind of hanging at the left bottom trying to get in the echelon, but not really getting in there. And you have to put so much effort to stay in that position. That's why you see so many people basically dropping off the back of an echelon and so many different groups forming. And that's why GC riders basically have to keep riding because otherwise they're shot out the back. Yeah, you got to, it's easier to roll through. You'll do less watts than just trying to dangle at the back. Um, but yeah, it's it was interesting to see Yumbo send it. Uh, I think Quickstep, I saw some images on, on a photo library or license that I have. It looked like Remco. He was not right there initially in the echelon, but very quickly, I think Casper Pedersen or another Quickstepper did a full gas lead out to get him into the Yumbo Visma echelon number one. Obviously, the big omissions were Ayuso, Almeida, and Enric Maas. And so I also think even without the benefit of Remco rolling through, as Benji just explained, I think if you're Remco, you probably want to roll through or at least have Catanea contribute because you could knock two podium contenders out of the way and, and Ayuso out of the way. Or maybe you wouldn't want to do that. But yeah, but the thing, the problem for them was there's a climb coming up. Volta's punctured out, one of the big strong riders for Yumbo, and three of their riders are, are GC leaders in there. And we didn't see it on the images, but I can bet you, I saw it in some Twitter videos, I can bet you Movistar were riding absolutely full gas with Erviti, Oliveira, Arcas, Lascano when he was there. Uh, and, and they're super strong. And then on the climb, again, we don't know, did Ayuso and Mas attack and, and try and bridge across themselves? Did they use a a climbing domestique, I don't know. Uh, they used, even they also have Garcia Cortina. So it's it, it wasn't going all the way, but it was like salvo number one uh, because it can re-split again. It all comes back together, but it's just a shame that we didn't see it. It's probably the most exciting hour of today's race. Um, maybe even the most exciting hour of racing this week. We uh, didn't see, but and I don't think they locally recorded e either, which I think... Uh, the additional cost of the motorbike, which I believe is already there in the race, locally recording it on the motor on the camera, so you could even see it maybe later. It can't be that high. So yeah, it all comes back together again. And then on the climb, the breakaway of the day that I kind of you'd expect went, Benji. Yep, a breakaway went, and like you said, that was after all the initial echelon business. Basically, on the top of that climb, I'd say Lenny Kemner. The boy that was in the breakaway twice already was great on Ardensal, actually. Dropped everybody, but then wasn't that great the second time he was in the breakaway. Caicedo was also in this group. Gebreg, Zabir, Navarro, Sobrero, Hamilton, Fernandez, and Baranecha, who is actually a pretty solid rider from Caja. We saw him a few days ago as well on, I reckon it was Ardensal, actually, in that group. But that group gets a solid gap in e immediately, like seven minutes, seven and a half minutes at a certain point. Then... Then I was like, oh, I'm going to go for a bit of a walk. And then I came back from the walk and it's four minutes. So I must have missed some echelons. And then suddenly I saw echelons where it felt like Quickstep and Yumbo were both once again trying to push it. I think Quickstep initiated. I'm not entirely sure. I also was kind I of I think nasty. so as well. 
And at this point, I'm kind of like, yes, is there value from initiating it again? It depends on who's in your split, eh? Well, it must be to get rid of UAE or Mass because there's no way Remco and Quickstep are going to create an echelon where Yumbo Visma aren't represented and keep it behind. Just, I'd hope so for Yumbo. <laughs> well, it's just impossible. Like, that's never happening. So it must be to maybe get... If there's a... If there's an echelon with Roglic, Koos, and Quickstep with Remco, would Yumbo Visma chase behind for Jonas? I don't know. So maybe he's trying <laughs> to create that situation where one of the three's not there yeah. and, and you can eliminate maybe, you know, Koos, but Koos in red's a different beast, obviously. That would be uh, interesting, actually, because then you get that dynamic and... yeah. I, I don't know, like, if Kuss is behind, what do they, they just don't ride in the front group, they right? They probably don't ride in either group and just let think it will come back together. Yeah. Um, and it, we saw it initially, like, the first echelon got destroyed by the fact that they get to the climb, and now there's a hill coming up. It's a smaller hill. It's not as big as the, the climb we had initially. And that hill with, oh, I reckon it was 50 kilometers to go, 45 kilometers to go, that basically destroyed that echelon again. Everybody, everybody came back together, and yeah. it's now 3.30 instead of 7. So... If someone pushes now, there's a chance that the brake still loses. But there was no one that was willing to do that. And in the peloton, you saw some relaxed faces. Remco was moving towards the back of the peloton, maybe a bit, um, maybe a bit dangerous for future echelons. But nothing happened when it comes to echelons from this point onwards. And we're now moving towards the last climb, Colada de la Cruz. And the breakaway is still that larger group. They're looking like they're going to win the stage. And we get some, some news from the organization, right? First of all, we get images online by Christoph Möll, who posted it on Twitter, on X these days, but I'm going to keep calling it Twitter for yeah. the rest of my goddamn life. There was mud on the road with, I reckon it was 150 meters to go. I don't know the exact distance, but it was kind of with the, at the Prensa parking, the journalist parking, which is usually in the last 200 meters where you can like go off the road and then you can park there with your car if, like, if you're like a press person. So that segment on the road, was basically muddy and that's because the cars have to go into the parking and back and to the top of the climb and so forth and how serious did that seem on the video i, I thought it'd be fine it, it was two hours from the finish these roads it looks almost worse than it is because these roads are um they're not pitch black anyway they're kind of some of them a bit light especially at the end of these weird climbs into the middle of nowhere and the baking sun in the costa blanca so it wasn't, it was not an inch deep cover. It was not a landslide. There was not an inch of mud on, on the road. Um, it was, yeah, there was a covering of dirt on the road at that point. But I thought two hours to go. Surely we could hand out some brooms and get a bit of elbow grease going. Yeah. And, you know, and it's not a lot, it's not, it's not a 1K section. It's like a 20 meter area, I think. I, I, and, it, and as I repeat, it was not, like when uh, even a small landslide comes and dumps a whole lot of dirt over, it was people, uh, or not people, in their cars with the muddy wheels coming in and out and that leaving mud on the entrance to this car park area is what I saw. And also uh, in the run into Jorette uh, Cati, was that yesterday, two days ago, in some other stages, there's been plenty of areas approached at very high speed where there's been significant dirt deposits on the road, uh, which you know, the riders have had to deal with. So I didn't think it would, I thought it wasn't great, but I thought this should be able to be resolved in a suitable manner before the end of this stage. 
the only thing that we didn't see was where whether there was any danger in the in the portion you've got on this last climb basically those spikes eh? the spikes it's like a, a staircase yeah and the second last hill has a descent leading up to the final ramp but that this is section in, it's not in the descent no yeah and that descent we didn't see on tv so oh, we didn't we didn't see that on tv really we didn't see any riders going through that it was mainly on the climbs that we saw the riders so Maybe there was something on that descent, but I haven't seen anyone speak about it, so I'm guessing not. So I'm guessing it's all about that mud that was on the road on the final ramp, which I'd argue 75% of the world to organize would be able to get out by the finish. Yeah, or just, I don't know, like, is it, was it that bad or dangerous? Maybe. Um, so, well, and, and this is what happens. Well, well they, they, we, wait. Yeah, sorry. Plataforma de Guerreros, the stage that Lopez crashed in that gravel section where, I, where, where Pogacar was like a minute ahead or something because he attacked with like a long attack. Riders were riding to a full-on gravel mud section there. Yeah. So we've, we've, we've had this major change since then to 2023 in, in terms of, well, probably that, that might have been dangerous at that point and might have had to have someone step in because riders actually crashed as a consequence. But... This would have been dangerous if you had like riders sprinting on it, I reckon. But even yeah, yeah, if you can't it, clean it up, that's the biggest. Yeah, it could have been. It could have been. Um, and I asked in Gran Camino, wasn't there? There's was a crazy narrow section, maybe in the TT, and there was like a steep drop off, um, which <laughs> yeah. they just went around. But anyway, what ends up happening is very similar, even more chaotically than on the Montjuïc stage two, and. The organizers, it's first reported, at least on Eurosport, that times for GC will be taken at 2.6 kilometers to go, which is before the steep part, of, the second steep part of this climb. And it's like in the middle of a steep section as well. Yeah, it's like at the start of the steep. It's weird. It's not before the flat section. It's not in any particular. Like, I was like, why would they draw the line through there? <laughs> And then, and I was like, already, I was like, okay, I don't care anymore about this stage, frankly. I just, <laughs> I just, I didn't see, I didn't get to, no one got to see the crosswind action. The Only about Kemna. The finish has now been ruined. I just don't care. Um, and then, but not just that the times will be taken at 2.6, but the breakaway guys will fight for the stage win, just like on stage two, irrespective of that, to the original finish line. Yeah. So they deemed, once again, that breakaway riders, it is safe enough for them. It's not safe enough for GC riders, which to me has nothing to do with safety. This is an organizer's decision to save face. So in case a GC rider sprinting has an issue in that corner or crashes in, in the last 100 meters, blames the organization or has an issue, and then you know we're down one GC rider at the uh, for, for week two and three. So if it was, I don't understand how finishes are unsafe for some riders, but not unsafe for other riders. I fully agree with you on this stage. I reckon there are occasions, for example, on a Champs-Élysées stage where if it's rainy there, if it's like very dangerous weather there, something like that, then you can argue, okay, it doesn't matter anymore. Nobody cares about GC on that day. GC times can be taken early. That reduces the amount of riders that will be sprinting on the Champs-Élysées, uh, on the cobbles there. I reckon that's an okay situation in which you can say, okay, GC times can be taken here. Uh, a regular sprint stage as well, if there's like, um, if it's a finish where your decision will reduce the amount of riders that will fight in the dangerous section, then you can make that decision. But in this specific stage, it doesn't reduce the amount of riders that are fighting because they're going to be racing 
in the breakaway. Yes, they're going to be reducing the amount of riders that, that race in that segment in the GC group, but that's also going to be a thinned out group. So if it's fine for 10 riders in the breakaway to fight it out on a, on a dangerous section, then it's also fine to do it with 10 GC riders on the dangerous section. You're basically just telling them that breakaway riders' lives are less important than GC riders' lives. And it wasn't going to be a sprint. Like, yeah. It wasn't going to be a sprint of like 20 guys coming in, getting a lead out. It was after 20%. Five. It was after a 20% ramp section and then another ramp section to the finish, 9%. Like, they weren't going to be sprinting at that high a speed. Um, so... Anyway, um, then it gets changed to 2.05 k's to go, which now makes sense because it's at the end of um, the end of the first 20% ramp section before the flat kilometer. But at this point, it's just become a farce. And I'm like, are they going to have the timing right? What should the teams do? Do all the teams know? Are there bonus seconds? Uh, I just it's turned into a farce, frankly, which is a shame. Um, and especially when you re when you remember on stage two where they're asking fans on the side of the road for the video footage to see where people came. It's like how much faith are we going to have in the timing system? Um, <laughs> oh, anyway, um, luckily I was called away by someone to the door, uh, so I didn't, <laughs> didn't see the end of the GC action anyway. But um, yeah, Cameron was the heavy favorite from the break. Benji will do the break. He's with, yeah, uh, to remind you, Gabrags would be a Navarro who had issues with his bike as well as Baranacha and the, the Ruben Fernandez. But yeah, it was mainly him against Sobrero and maybe Gabrags could be a bit. Yeah, Kamner, he's won a Giro stage and a Tour stage. He was very aggressive early on the climb. Yeah. I think I was surprised. Do you think maybe he was trying to disrupt Sobrero's rhythm? Um, but yeah. He, he was, Kamner was so aggressive on this climb that he attacked before the climb even started, just before the corner that goes into the climb, to the point that he had to break before the climb, so his attack was completely nullified because he attacked too early in that corner. But anyway, uh, you're right. It's kind, of like a, it's kind of like a fight between two riders that are slightly different, as in Kemna and... Because like, to be clear, a smaller group of five was created, Kemna, Gebre, Hamilton, Sobrero, Caicedo, and then we see that group being reduced to Kemna and Sobrero, and then Kemna attacks again, and we get this 1v1 fight with a gap of 10, 15 seconds in between. And when you look at that fight, you've got two riders that can relatively climb. Kemna's a better climber than Sobrero. Sobrero's, in my opinion, a better time trialist than Kemna. Oh, I'm just I'm looking through results. Who's the better time trialist, Kemna or Sobrero? Oh, Kemna. Fuck. <laughs> Come on. It's not true. Why? <laughs> Sobrero's a better time trialist than Kemna. At what? At time trialing. But which ones? The flat ones. The Tour de Suisse, 8th and 8th, doesn't move me. Romandy, 24th, doesn't move me. Paris-Nice, TTT, third was okay. Linear, <laughs> like Third was okay. <laughs> who's a better time trialist on the road bike? Well, if there's climbing, Kemna's better. On, a, on the road bike, probably. I don't know. 50-50. Yeah, I think Sobrero is actually a little bit overrated as a rider, frankly, um, since that Giro stage win. And Slovenia, when it comes to his climbing there? Well, I mean, he's on the really, really good setup, and he's not, like, yeah, he's, he's not that good at time trials, and his climbing really surprises me. Like, I really think he should be, a, if he's such a good time trial, he's not that big. He's, like, mid-60 kilos. I thought he would think he would climb better. So, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, Lenny's just too good. Sorry, I, was, I zoned out because... <laughs> Anyway, Lenny goes away, wins the stage, no one crashes, back in the GC group, Katana, uh, Movistar do a lead out, 
Catania takes over. It slows. Almeida jumps with Vlasov. They go clear. No one just wants to chase them. Otterbrooks, uh, actually, he, he was at risk of losing time in the echelons twice today. And then Roglic does a big counterattack when he finally gets out on the steep, at the end of the steep ramp. Remco is following initially with Mars, and then Remco starts spinning in like a lower <laughs> gear, but he's going backwards very, very fast. Um, well, quite, he looked like he was, he was not going in the right trajectory of going back to Roglic wheel. To me, the gap looked like it was opening up actually uh, at the end of that plunge. It was odd because I feel like on the steep section, it looked like Remco immediately dropped behind Mas, and then he kept there for a bit. Yeah. And then towards the, the actual line, which was 50 meters before the two kilometer mark. I couldn't tell where it was. In between two random <laughs> cones by the side of the road. So the riders must have been communicated very well where that was. I to think be able there were to... people on the side of the road waving at them with yeah. flags and stuff. Fortunately. And... There were gaps, as in Roglic had a bit of a gap on Moss, and the same gap basically goes towards Remco, but we're talking about a second in between each rider, how I perceived it. <laughs> and we, you, you started mentioning about Roglic, but I feel like you erased someone here. Can we talk about Botalume for a second? Oh, no, he attacked, and, you know, he, he wanted to ride a consistent pace, so if the pace drops, Almeida has a Watts target, and he <laughs> damn well is going to ride at that Watts target. <laughs> and if the pace drops 10 watts below, he has to go. Because he has to ride at his watts. So, um, that's, I mean, it was actually a good move. And UAE, they got three leaders. Soler is up there, Ayuso's up there, and Almeida's yeah. up there. Why not use them if there's a bit of a slowing? It was actually a brilliant... This is why I'm so downcast today. This was such a good climb to, with the tactics and, two, and multiple leaders because of the way it leveled off in parts where yeah. you could slip away. And it's not so steep like yesterday. So, I, I felt robbed of when they all crossed the line like Almeida, like, you know, what else could have happened what, at the end of this climb? Was Remco in real trouble? Was Kuz going to crack completely? And, and Almeida takes a lot of time on him. Um, but yeah, Almeida, good Benji. I, was, I, was, I thought he was going to get dropped today. Actually, I said it before. I thought yeah. this is the sort of climb he'll get dropped on. And you'd argue partially because you'd expect the tempo to be fast throughout the entire climb. Then Almeida would drop because then he would ride his own tempo on the first pinch. Then on the flag session in between, the, the tempo will keep on going. And then on the next pinch, he'll do his own tempo again. Yeah. And he won't have the draft on the flat sections in between. But because the tempo slowed down so yeah. much in the group... There were no domestiques wanting to pace there, yeah. And there were no domestiques anyway. Like, Walter dropped early because yeah. there was no point in having him there in the first place. Trotnik was, uh, was gone. Like, yeah. And Sepkus is not a domestique. He's an absolute leader. So, um, well, yeah, and Catania was riding at Kemner's pace, even slower maybe. Yeah, when he, was he was losing time to Kemner. Yeah. Anyway... Um, <laughs> You'll now know why I was had my, my brow furrowed furiously if you're watching on YouTube uh, a few minutes ago. The results have come out and they're not in order. That means they are in the order the riders crossed the original finish line, but the riders are on their actual time behind Kemner at 2.05 k's to go. So very, very confusing. Because, oh my god, because, I can see it. Because the riders all stop, right? Roglic literally stops and starts pedaling at 50 watts when he crosses at 2.05. But so Mars actually finished, quote unquote, first at the original finish of the GC riders. So he's first on the list, but he's not first. So first of the GC riders, if I can find them, were Vlasov and Almeida. 3.11? And they were on 3.11. So let's count back from them. So they Jesus. were on 3.11. Roglic was next 
they've put him on five seconds behind Almeida and Vlasov. Then they've given Mas, Remco, and Jonas the same time. That's bullshit. Seven seconds behind uh, Almeida. I do not know how you can put Vingegaard on Evenepoel and Mas time. He was not on their time. The gap between... But the gap between... Roglic and Moss was exactly the same gap but as between Moss and Evenepoel. So the only logical decision here is there to be one second in between on each side of Moss. And there's no three-second rule. Uh, there must be a second. There must have been a second between Moss and, and Evenepoel and, and then a second between Evenepoel and Vingegaard, unless we're looking at a different finish line. I, I cannot believe Vingegaard is Evenepoel and Moss are on the same time. Um, certainly Vingegaard was not two seconds behind Roglic, but anyway, um, they've done that. And then next on the road is a collection of Islander on 325 with Soler, uh, and where's Ayuso? <laughs> I can't fucking tell, man, this list. Where's 318, Ayuso? so same as Evenepoel. So Ayuso's on... Same as Vingegaard, same as, uh, as Evenepoel. Okay, and then Lander <laughs> 325 with... Uh, Sepkus. So Sepkus loses 14 seconds to Vlasov and Almeida and 7 seconds to Avenapool. And Outerbrooks is on 327 with uh, Lenny. So that's probably the red. That, that's all the main GC contenders. But yeah, I'm very. Um, it's very confusing. Anyway, poor Steph, <laughs> Steph Krauss lost a lot of time today. So Steph Krauss GC not looking good. Um, yeah, what a. Very confusing. Uh, very, very confusing indeed. Anyway. What the? Sorry, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> oh, maybe because Ayuso. I think Vingegaard, Luke just sent us a photo. I think because Ayuso was between Remco and Vingegaard. Yeah. There is less than a second, they're saying, between Mas, Remco, Remco, Ayuso, Ayuso, Jonas, and Jonas gets bailed out yeah, by but the sequencing. Sorry, no, no, no. If you look at that damn picture, if you look at that picture, the gap between Roglic and Moss is exactly the same gap as between Moss and Remco, so there should not be two seconds between Roglic and, and Moss, and then no, zero seconds between Moss and Evenepoel. This is bullshit. I don't know, yeah. Well, I got the footage I'm about to download to do the video, and then I actually have the frames with the timing, so I'll, I'll do the timing, but yeah, looking at it right here, the, the gaps look equidistant between all five riders. Yeah. Obviously, maybe Mars slowed down in the last two meters and Avonball sped up, but fuck. <laughs> what is this? Hard to have a lot of faith in what's happened today, frankly. Um, bit of a farce. So, revised GC. Sepp Kuss maintains his GC lead on 43 seconds to Soler, 102 to Lenny. Uh, Avonball moves up two GC spots. He's into 224, so he's shaved off a nice little bit of time on, on Kuss. Uh, which I think is important because he's going to take a, two minutes maybe tomorrow, uh, on, on Monday, Tuesday. Landers in fifth on 2.29, same time as Roglic. Vingegaard on 2.35. So Roglic is now six seconds ahead of Vingegaard. That's uh, nearly 20 seconds more than he was two days, uh, three days ago. Mars in eighth on 2.35. Ayuso on 2.45 with Almeida on 2.55. So the... Uh, Paul to Almeida... Is they are separated by 30 seconds or less. Even Paul Roglic, Vingegaard, Mas, Ayuso, Almeida, that collection of GC guys with Kus and Soler from UAE and Yumbo, both a, a fair bit ahead, over a minute ahead of, uh, of all those guys. So UAE are in a very, very good position. Uh, they'll be happy with their position going into the, the rest day. Yumbo are obviously still in a good position. And um, what do you think would have happened? 
if they race this full gas to the finish. Roger, uh, Roger Lake. Wow, I, I just ruined that name. <laughs> I've never said that in my entire Roger. life. I just did a... Is that a, a Sean Kelly that I did, or...? I think so, yeah. Anyway, I reckon Roglic would have gained time on everybody. I think it takes 10 seconds, yeah. Um, and and yeah. time on the road as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I mean, 10, yeah. on, 10 on the road, and... Um but not to be. Um. There, there's the benefit of the riders that are chasing that they've got that descent, which on paper, Remco would probably be happy with. Remco, but Remco then the ramp starts again. Remco eh? looked like Fossombroni today to me, where right at the end, his legs start to go zub-zub. <laughs> um, yeah. Like he starts spinning really high cadence and, he, and he's not gaining on, on Roglic anymore. Now maybe just, I don't know, it's, it's hard to say because it's, it's not the finish line, so maybe Roglic wouldn't have got that gap because he wouldn't have gone so hard uh, if he was that far from yeah. the finish. But uh, Thomas is fully out of GC. Yeah, Kamna wins the triple. Uh, once we saw he got in that break where he was the prohibitive overalls on favourite, and uh, he is, yeah, he's now as a stage in the Tour, the Vuelta, the Giro, the Dauphiné, Catalonia. He's building up a very nice uh, Palmares indeed, even after having a crack at Giro GC where he came top 10 this year and uh, top 10 in Torreno and Tour of the Alps as well. So I'm glad he's gone back to his stage hunting ways in the in the Vuelta where he's, he's rounded off yeah. the, uh, the triple. The triple. That's nice because like there's, I think there's trial as well in this race who did the same thing. But yeah. we've also seen, was it Court that did? No, that was able to do this, the same thing. And I don't know if he did actually this year. I reckon yeah, he... Yeah, Court won a Giro stage, no? Yeah. I, I don't remember anymore. It's so far away. Yeah, Court won a Giro mind. stage against G and uh, somebody else. G. Oh, Derek G. Derek oh, G. Yeah, Jesus yeah. Christ. Um, <laughs> okay. So, next up is a, a rest day and then a time trial, no? A rest day, then TT. Jonas Vingegaard has liked that combination so far this year. Yeah. Um, uh, the Tour de France TT was after the second rest day. But but yeah. Vingegaard-wise, I don't feel like I've seen him very... He hasn't been strong enough to attack anyone this race. He's been survival mode so far. So... Is he either hoping that he grows into the race or is he hoping that the climbs in week two, which is the Tour de full, fit him better, which on paper they should? Yeah, I mean, when I think of the Tour de France, like the punchy finishes or say, um, say the end of the Hayiska Bell, right? Yeah. Poggy's not gapping him on those sprints. He, and, and Vingegaard and Poggy were gapping everybody else. And yet here in the Vuelta, Mars is gapping him in this sprint. Ayuso's uh, gapping him in the sprint. Aaron saw his sprint was good. So his sprints, I don't think his sprint has looked as good as the Tour de France, but he did really good watts uh, on Jorge de Cati. He did good watts on Havalambre. And he hasn't really had the stages which, which suit him the most, as you said, which come in week two. But um, he doesn't... There's, a, there's a, probably a middle ground between, you know, he's completely out of shape and he's in his Tour de France shape. I think it's... Um, I think he might not be in his Tour de France shape, but I still think he's in good enough shape, certainly, to win this race with the co-leadership of Kus and Roglic. But yeah, rest day tomorrow. I think, do you think everybody's happy? Mm. Remco's yeah. in, like, decent position, though. He's, I reckon Jumbo's happy that they've got all three up there, that they can play with all three in week two. Quickstep is happy that Remco's still in contention after having a bad day and crashing after winning a stage. And he's ahead of Roglic and Vingegaard. And the time trial's coming up. Yep. UAE, they're still in contention with Ayuso, Almeida, and Soler. Soler's still up there, so they're going to be happy. 
more or less Keon a bit the last few days, so that's a bit of a bummer, but I also don't feel like they should have been expecting him to show up in the top five regularly every single stage anyway, so it's kind of like... Oh, Keon will probably still top five. I reckon top five? Yeah. I reckon Maybe top seven. He will be good on the long stages, I think. And the time trial? That's the one where I'm like... Yeah, he will not be good on the time trial. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, uh, I think you're right. Most of them are happy. I think probably the happiest would be Yumbo. UAE would, in, yeah. a, in an ideal world, UAE would have Vine still here. Yeah. Uh, in an ideal world, Remco might have um, 25, 30 seconds on, on Roglic and Vingegaard rather than 5 and, and 11 seconds. But uh, And it was actually looking like that. On Aaron Sahl, you, you could have said, okay, if he's going to stack 10 seconds plus 2 yeah. in, in Havalambre and Jared de Cati, Maybe he could have been entering this this rest day with a thirty second buffer, but that's not the case. And um, that TT, we are, we're not doing a rest day podcast. Uh, Benji's heading back home tomorrow, uh, so this is the last in person pod. Sad, yeah, very sad. Um, and for a while as well, most likely. Well, yeah, I mean, is there a fourth grand? What's the fourth grand tour? If this video gets five million likes, <laughs> Patrick will come to the Tour of Flanders with me. I mean, I'm I'm gonna go anyway, so they don't have to do that. You can dislike the video. No, 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 no! Please, please don't, please. <laughs> um, Valladolid to Valladolid, uh, where my neighbours are from. 687 meters on the plateau. Um, it is 26 kilometers long. A pretty flat TT with one 500 meter seven percent punch, which you know it is ultimately a flattish TT, but it does have a fair few corners. I haven't counted them up, but. There's some figure of eights, multiple figure of eights. Uh, there's out, out and back through roundabouts, 180-degree 180, 180 hairpins. I would class this as a relatively technical time trial. Uh, probably not. You know, it's in a, it's in a large town. Uh, maybe Europeans, you would call this a city. So the... Um... You know, <laughs> I found out two days ago that the city of London has less citizens than my city of Gestel in Belgium, because the city of London has 8,800 citizens and is only a small part of the greater London, and the actual big London is not a city. What do you mean? I'm talking about facts. Reading is not a city. Around 200,000 citizens. The city of London is a government district. It's like a, it's like a local government district within the city of within in London. In the official list of cities... London is that small portion in the greater London and only has 8,000 citizens. So as a fact, okay. you can never disrespect my glorious city of Gisle in Belgium anymore. Okay, it's a city. Um, <laughs> uh, I got my facts, sorry. Science. <laughs> yeah, I can't argue with facts. Um, anyway. Time trial. Time trial, I think... Kuss loses one minute Dude. and a half, two minutes to him. I say Kuss going to win. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Me. <laughs> Ghana... Kind of looks in decent shape, but then we haven't really seen him do anything because Ineos have kind of fallen, you know, everything's gone wrong for them. What do I think? Remco's in good shape. Yeah, I think Remco should win. Remco should win the TT. Yeah. Uh, he should be the favorite. Ghana second favorite. I don't. There's just no way Roglic beats Remco in a flat TT. There's just no way. So the lists, let's go through it for a second. My predictions are that Remco wins the, well, Wins the time trial compared to GC riders. I don't care if he wins the time trial or not. Just compared to GC riders, I reckon he takes 27 seconds to Roglic. 20 seconds? 27 seconds to Roglic. Okay. 29 seconds to Ayuso. 
36 seconds to Vingegaard. I'll make that 46. 46 seconds to Vingegaard just because I haven't been confident in him recently, even though technically his time trial after a rest day in the Tour de France was pretty damn good. But after that, Miles is going to lose a minute and a half, two minutes. No, same I think, thing. I think Miles is okay. Is he okay? But that's a minute towards Roglic. Yeah, a minute to Roglic. Yeah, probably. Probably going to lose between 110 and 130. You're right. Yeah. Almeida's Giro TTs were better than expected. So I reckon he loses about... He, he's about a half a minute behind Roglic, I would say. So on that Giro TT, which was a similar length, oh, 20 Ks, a little bit shorter, also had a pick up to the finish. You're right. Almeida was on 30 seconds. Uh, I'm going to go with Avonpour winning. Okay. Gap to Vingegaard in second on uh, 25 seconds or 20, 20, yeah, 23 seconds. Then Almeida and Ayuso on 32 seconds. Roglic on 35 seconds. And then, yeah, you're right. Then it's big gaffes to the rest of the GC guys. Uh, Vlasov, I'm not sure how his, his uh, TT will go. They've also got a good setup. I think handling will make a big difference. I don't know the weather forecast. I think it's supposed to rain tomorrow on the rest day. Hopefully it doesn't rain on Tuesday. I think if there's rain, that can... Uh, I think the rain will suit Vingegaard and Ayuso. I don't think the rain suits Roglic and Avonapol in this TT. Maybe it even suits Ghana, who doesn't need... Gano doesn't have to worry about GC, so if it rains, yeah. he can just... Um, I, although I don't even think it's... <laughs> he can I just risk crashing out. Well, exactly, he can. He can take more <laughs> risks. But um, I also don't think it suits him so much in the corners, or yeah. rainy corners. Oh, he'll have another flat, probably. Another flat? He always flats in TT. Okay, and that's a possibility. It's a possibility. What about uh, Sobrero versus Kemna? Um, well, Kemna's smart, you see. So he doesn't, he doesn't waste energy on TTs. He can't win when he's not in GC. So, <laughs> Sobrero, so you're telling so, me Sobrero's going to have a better TT? Sobrero will probably finish above Kemna and finish, you know, 12th. And it's like, what a great time trialist he is. <laughs> <laughs> and Kemna will be like, well, I'll save my legs to win the, uh, the, the later stage. But yeah, it's a big week coming up in, in the Vuelta. We, we have the biggest stages, in my opinion, bigger than Anglero, bigger than Cruz de Linares. Like, stage 11 is uh, just a Unipuerto sort of sprint stage. You know, they'll probably uh, take times halfway up the climb. Then there's a Caden Grove sprint stage. But then we're all waiting for stage 13, which is on uh, Friday, I think. I don't know. If they don't get full coverage sorted for this stage, then I don't know what, what's going on. It's uh, from Formigal to Col de Tourmalet, including the Obisque and Spandel beforehand. Knowing this, organized, this, this race so far, we're going to have like one mountain left by the time this stage ends. Yeah, it would be the descent of Spandel, and you're <laughs> like, oh, it's, look, it's Jonas Fingergaard. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's so. Stage 14 is also a brutal stage where early attacks are possible with yeah. Col Hosser and then Puerto de la Rao, which is the Col de Roimendi. Uh, which crosses back that they crest that on the French Spanish border. Steep boy. Steep, irregular, very, Long. very difficult climb with bonies at the top. And then it's, yeah, that, that's a real raid stage. So those two stages, I can't wait to watch. Uh, hopefully they go ahead without uh, accident or incident. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's all, Benji. Anything else from this week? How'd you rate this week? It's actually, it has been, there's been way worse weeks in terms of action. That's better than the Giro, mate. Like, yeah, already it's better than the Giro. But, I like drama, but, but it's like, I don't like the drama that hinders the racing. Yeah. And yeah. it's been a bit too much for, for me when it comes to that. Yeah, I don't mind a bit of drama and a bit of sprint deviation drama, a bit of, you know, 
people being unhappy with this and complaining. Oh, that's all great fun, but two two of the finishes, two of the punchy finishes, particularly this one, shortened with lack of clarity and a bit of a not consistent messaging and you know it being quote unquote safe enough for some people to race but not safe enough for the precious gc riders to safe got to race god forbid leaves you know you're like why do i just sit here and watch this for three hours on my sunday um but anyway race day tomorrow so maybe i'll be complaining about no cycling to watch tomorrow at all <laughs> uh in plue uh valentin matterwales one ahead of Burger hey. and grosschartner plue is important who is where this shit started 2020, GP Plua was our first podcast ever. True, true. And it was in August then, so it's in September now. Who won that one? Matthews. Matthews. With Daniel Zekhoff lead out. Yeah, that was yeah. a good race. That was a good race. Um, Matthew Van der Poel was here in the World Champs jersey, but because it's not a big race, he was obviously not good. And then in Tour of Britain, Olav Koy won the bunch sprint ahead of Wout Van Aert uh, with Sam Bennett in third. So uh, that will probably be... I'm pretty sure the Tour of Britain has seven of those stages being absolutely completely identical which six sprint stage and one stage where it's going to be a bit too hard for koi i think and wout for that might be might be happy with that yeah but there's no bonus seconds either so it's really interesting but did they not find a fucking hill in britain in the first six stages jesus <laughs> come on man i agree good luck commentating that if you're a live commentator for a tour of britain i mean stage seven and eight they look good but this is a sort of parkour what like in arctic race right it's four stages Stages seven and eight of Tour of Britain are the sort of stages you have in the last two stages of Arctic race. And then the other two will be a sprint. Yeah. But this is eight stages. What other eight stage race do you have this amount of sprints? Like Tour de Suisse is eight stages. Dauphiné is eight stages. Not even in the UAE Tour you have six No, you have stages. two mountain top finishes in a TT. Tour Lankar where you've got six sprint stages. Ah. But I wouldn't want to compete with that. I know it is. And I'm, I'm not even necessarily blaming the organizers. It could be. I, I'm sure it's very difficult, much more difficult than in Italy. To find a single hill. No, but in, in <laughs> the UK and Australia and, and America is different to Spain, France, Belgium and, yeah. um, and Italy in terms of road closures and people complaining in their attitude to, you know. Cyclists. Well, the road being closed down for. But then again, mountains are usually in remote areas where you think that sort of thing is easier to do uh rather than a finish in wrexham or or gloucester but anyway um i'm sure we'll see some more sprints and that's why like the sprint list there is actually much much better than the vuelta with gaviria and yeah and uh, the return of sheffield and bennett and, and van Aert and coy and, and all that good stuff but anyway, is he back is he there i think he is strange isn't it great sprinter do you reckon they didn't take him to the vuelta because they thought he might not be coming back and, and then, then they, they, only, they only figured out once the welter has started. <laughs> no, nah, he crashed pretty hard in the tour. Well, their behavior towards riders that are leaving is not exactly the most optimal, that's for sure. You reckon they could have done with Sivakov here? <laughs> oh, obviously. <laughs> yeah, he would have run top 10 for sure. Anyway, yeah. that's all from us today. Uh, hope you enjoyed our welter recaps of what's been a pretty strange stage, and we'll see you on Tuesday with the time trial recap with maybe Remco Rojo or maybe Kuz doing the TT of his life. Until then... Ciao. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.